0: As we unpack this next section in Galatians 1 6 to 10, just imagine if I was a preacher in Cleveland and this was the Sunday after, you could choose either of two times, when LeBron James, the hometown hero, decided, first time I'm headed for Miami. Second time, after he came back and everybody was just thrilled and he said, I'm headed for L.A. People were in the streets with this jersey and they were not quite pleased with this. They were upset. They were hurt. They felt betrayed. And so what did they do? The jersey that they loved, they wore proudly, they played with great money. Suddenly, there were people in the streets on those two occasions that took the jersey and what did they do? They took it off and somebody said it. They set it on fire. They burned it. Why? Because you traded in our jersey for their jersey. You were on our team and you moved your loyalty and your location to their team. You took your talent from our team, and you went and you joined their team. And people were caught by surprise. But the reality is, is LeBron had a heart change. Maybe he was affected by where he wanted to live. Maybe he was affected by salary. But he had a change of heart, and everybody else took second place, and he signed, and he packed, and he moved. As Paul is writing to the Galatians, I want us never to forget the imagery of someone taking off a jersey and putting on a different jersey. That's what we see unfolding as Paul writes to the Galatians. As we come to this section this morning, last week we looked at Paul's introduction. And now this morning we get to the heart of Paul's problem with the churches of Galatia. They've begun to switch sides. He's not going to sit by. He's not going to just be idle. He's not going to just, well, you know, people just got to do what they got to do and, you know, whatever. No, he loves them. He holds out hope for them in this letter. But listen to me, beloved. His confidence is not in the Galatians. His confidence is not in himself. His confidence is in where? Christ. It's in the gospel. And so the title of today's message is this. There's only one gospel. It's just one. And many people will look at that and say, you know what? It's not fair that there's only one gospel. No. No if we don't ever want to talk about us getting what's fair, because, beloved, we know as sinners, if we get what's fair, I get hell. I get punishment. So I don't want what's fair. I need grace. I need the gospel, the gospel of Christ, the gospel of grace. You know, when you talk about jerseys, talk about all these teams, you talk about what the value is, You know, if it's taken care of, if it's not, if it's signed, all the value. But you know what? At the end of the day, this is about a basketball. Like, just think about that. The money that we spend on basketball, a ball. It's almost laughable if you were to try to explain this to people who just didn't understand. That whether it be a pigskin or whether it be a round ball and we put it in the bucket and we pay millions And at the end of the day, let me ask you something. A hundred years from now, what does this matter? A hundred years from now, and yet people will sacrifice. They will be thrilled. Can I remind us again? It's okay for us to clap. When this guy scores a bucket, people go crazy. When we sing of the gospel, it's okay for us to show emotion and not care what other people think. To lift hands, to clap hands, to say amen, so be it, I'm with you. It's perfectly okay. Paul's writing about eternal matters and he says this in verse 6 of chapter 1. He says, I'm astonished. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one. him be accursed. He says it two times. Verse 10. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant. Or you could even say a slave. That's the word, doulos, of Christ. This is the word of God. This morning, there's one gospel, beloved, and this is the gospel. It's Christ alone. It's going to come on the screen. This is it. Christ alone. As soon as anyone tries to add something, no matter, usually it's not bad things. Usually it's decent things, it's moral things, things even taught that should be done in Scripture are appropriate for disciplines or following Christ. But as soon as those aspects of obedience are included in salvation is Christ plus baptism, Christ plus confirmation, Christ plus communion, Christ plus whatever it may be, you have a different message. It's no longer gospel. It's no longer good news. It's simply news. It's no longer a saving message. It becomes simply a message that cannot save. It gets reversed. So if you have your your study guide there, you can write down, and I'll encourage you, our small groups are kicking off today um, and and in the coming weeks. Uh, These study guides are online. They're in the back. They're out at the Welcome Center. Uh, Please take one and engage as we are a church of small groups. That's where ministry happens through these groups. So let's observe this morning. Let's listen to the apostles' response, first of all, to the foolish. And we see this in verse six. The Galatians were in the process of deserting Jesus and his gospel. And Paul is absolutely shocked. He's taken by surprise. He can't believe it. He's astonished at this sudden apostasy. The word for astonished in the Greek is thaumadzo. It's always a term used of amazement about an event or of an object. It's something's out of place. It's unbelievable. It's even reprehensible so that people would marvel or wonder. So that's what the idea behind the idea of Cleveland. It was reprehensible to the fans of the Cavaliers that our hometown guy will leave us for another city. This is unthinkable. This is out of place. I don't like It's the summation. That's the deduction. This word is used in Scripture, Mark 6, 6, Jesus he marveled at their unbelief. He's amazed. Your unbelief is out of place. John 7, 21, they were all um, amazed at Jesus healing on the Sabbath day. And Jesus said, I did one work and you all marvel at it. Thalmazzo, you're all just blown away by this. Luke eleven thirty eight. 38, Jesus went to eat at the house of a Pharisee and the Pharisee's watching him. Is he going to keep my rules? Is he going to do all the things? He's got his clipboard, he's checking everything off. And he sees Jesus didn't ceremonially wash his hands. Washing kind of like a surgeon, scrubbing in. Had nothing to do with just clean hands or not. It had everything to do with the ceremony. And the Pharisee noticed, and he, oh, he marvels, he's astonished, he's shocked. He's supposed to be a teacher that we listen to. He didn't know our rules of washing hands and he broke it. Check, note, write it down. Failed. Marveled. John 4 29, Jesus is out with the Samaritan woman. They're sitting at the well. Disciples come back. They see Jesus and he's with the woman and he's sitting and it's a Samaritan woman and they're shocked is the word. It's the same word. They marvel. What is he doing talking to a woman? (laughs) Those, Those are the apostles. Those are the disciples. They have a long way to go in understanding who Jesus is and what he's about. But that's the same word. This is out of place. And that woman from Samaria would have said the same thing. Why are you, a Jew, asking me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink? Jewish people would not drink after Samaritans. If a Samaritan touched their water pot, they'd break it. It want nothing to do with them. This is out of place. The Galatians were foolishly defecting from the one true and living God. When Paul in chapter three and verse one, Paul says this kind greeting to these Galatians, "Oh, foolish Galatians. Parents, you ever have to use that one for your kids? Oh, foolish children! right? How many times do I have to tell you this? Well, how could you be so foolish? Not a term of endearment, but he does love them. The Galatians were foolishly defecting from the one true and living God. And that's what Paul says. You are deserting so quickly. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel. When he says called, this is the power of God's word. This is the sovereign grace that if you are here and you are in Christ this morning, it is because he called you. He called you from darkness to light, just like he called Lazarus, Lazarus, come forth. He called him by name. It was nothing. Lazarus was doing good in the tomb. He was dead. But the life giving word of Jesus raises to life. And Paul says, I came, I preached a message to you, and God called you through the message. He called you in his grace, not your works. And you're leaving. You quickly, you're fading away. This is like Moses goes to Egypt. Ten plagues later, they leave Egypt. All the Egyptians are just unloading all of their wealth on the Israelites as they leave. They get to the edge of the Red Sea. Here comes Pharaoh's army. Oh, we're going to die. Moses, Moses prays. The Lord parts the water. They walk through on dry land. They get to the other side. Moses puts his hands down. He stops praying. The water covers Pharaoh's army. They drown in the sea. And a few days later, after complaining and trials, Moses is up on the mountain, Mount Sinai. And there God gives him the Ten Commandments and gives him all the instructions for the tabernacle. And what does he hear in the distance? We're a couple months out and I hear noise. And he comes off the edge of wherever on Mount Sinai and he looks down and the people are having a massive party and they're having it without him. And he's upset. He's shocked. What does he see at the center of this party? The golden calf. This isn't, this is idolatry. You just saw the living God, Yahweh, take down all of Egypt's idols and all of their false worship and you're resurrecting that? What does he do? He's angry. He throws, he breaks the tablets. He's so upset. I can't believe this. I delivered you out or God did through me for this no way. This is wrong. It's very similar. Paul identified their embracing of false teachers and false teaching as desertion. The Greek word is metatithomy. Metatithomy. It's deserting, it's defecting. Now I grew up in Wisconsin. When we moved to Wisconsin in 1980, the Packers were in a long drought of no victories. Any fans that were still Packer fans, I would look at them and I was like, "Why? Why are you still a Packer fan?" It's like Lions fans, right? Like we 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 feel your pain, right? And uh, I, I we live where we live was between Milwaukee and Chicago. That's when the Bears had the Super Bowl Shuffle. They had Walter Payton and Jim McMahon and Refrigerator Perry and Mike Dicka and. Dicca, you know, and all these. And it was just, it was, that was the time. So I was not loyal. We've moved in so many places. I've been, a, you know, a resident of so many different sports teams. I, I don't really care. I enjoy it, or I don't. And then they signed Brett Favre. Oh, Wisconsin comes alive. They start winning. It just goes, right? But then what happens a few, some years later, over a decade later, Far toward the end of his career, signed with the Jets. Nobody really cared. A year later, he signed with the Vikings for two seasons. Now, those are fighting words. Why? They're arch rivals. My uncle's a pastor. He pastored in Minnesota. Viking fans through and through. And then he took a church in Green Bay. And then he went to Green Bay. And every time the Packers played the Vikings, it was a very much of a conflict for him of who do I cheer for today. But he went back to his roots and he cheered for the Vikings. It was unthinkable. Went from being our guy to going to a rival team. Sometimes politicians do that. They get elected under one uh, party and then they say, you know what? The grass is looking greener over there. I'm going to switch and I'm going to join that party. They've had a change of heart. Something has changed. When Paul uses this word, the Galatians would have understood this word in primarily two ways. Metatithemy would have been a political revolt or a change of mind, a change of heart, a change of attitude. I used to be this way, now I'm this way. When you think about it in military terms, I think about the, the movie, The Hunt for Red October, Sean Connery, Swartz, right? And, he's, and no one knows why is there a submarine off the, the grid off the record and is it coming for a stealth attack or do we go with this person's belief that he's defecting and bringing us a submarine a nuclear-powered submarine really and that's the suspense of the movie and until it's borne out he was coming defecting to freedom think about this Recent news, Bo Bergdahl, you remember him? Traded in the flag, traded in a uniform, left out after sending emails. So much controversy over this case. And he went out and was captive, captive, captured by the Taliban. And then to get his release, what had to be done? An exchange of prisoners from Guantanamo Bay. This is a very difficult and he went from being loyal on one side to abandoning and going to another side. He was given a general court-martial in November of 2017 and that same month you may remember this news. In North Korea there was a soldier. This soldier Oh Chong Song. This is him. He drives the vehicle. He drives to the border. He runs. He's shot five times, trying to run to freedom. He's laying beside a wall and under the cover of darkness, the South Korean, and they're in that middle neutral zone. They, they, they creep in, and you can only see it through the infrared footage on the surveillance, and they drag his body to safety. And medical team goes to work and they save his life. This is his... Screenshot from an interview, I think, with NBC. You think he wants to go back? Because everyone knows if O goes back to North Korea, he's not going back to face a court martial. They would have rather had him dead. And he would have rather died trying to get to freedom than to stay under the regime where he was a citizen and a soldier. Now think about these terms, this word. It's a change of attitude, something has changed. Maybe you know someone and they once said, you know, I love you. I care about you. But then something happened and the love stopped. The friendship stopped. Maybe it was even in a marriage. Someone said, I will love you till death do us part. And something changed. And a spouse is left saying, what happened? Where did you go? Metatithomy, what took place in you? How did you get carried over to a different belief? And these are real hurts. These are real sorrows. This is what Paul is experiencing. And he will write in this letter to these believers who loved him and he will say, you loved me. You were thankful for the ministry that through Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, I came to you. I poured out my life. I nearly died bringing you the gospel and you were willing to give up your eyes for me if you could have. And now you won't listen to me. What happened? Why the change of heart? I have greeting cards and emails from people who were members at one time. Thank you so much for your ministry. I'm not alone in this as pastors, as shepherds. Appreciate the word of God. Thank you for your ministry. And then something happens. And Paul is saying, What gives? I haven't changed. I still love you. I still am here writing to you. He's writing to them. And who, who got involved in this? What changed in your thinking? And immediately the Galatians are Noth- nothing. We haven't changed. And Paul will hold them to the truth and say, yes, you have. And you're being foolish. So he's writing to them. He's responding to them. And I love this. There's still hope. True, the Galatians were fading, but they weren't gone yet. They weren't gone yet. You know, the baseball, the homer, going, going, boom, off the wall, not gone. Right? It has to clear the wall. And in Paul's mind, as he's writing the Galatians, he can hear the announcer saying, going, going, the auctioneer, but it's not gone yet. So he's writing them. He responds to them. He doesn't write them off. He doesn't wash his hands of them and say, forget about you. I don't care about you and build up walls of bitterness. He says, I'm writing you. But he spares all the niceties. He has no praise for them. He's very intent. The verdict isn't in yet. So Paul is hoping and no doubt praying that they will hear his loving rebuke. They will listen with their hearts. They will repent and return wholeheartedly to the truth. And that means to him. This is his ministry. As Paul writes to them, through the language that he uses, we can see that he's addressing their internal problem. It's not external the way he's writing this. They knew better. He's not interested in blame. Well, they, Well, they, this, them, they. Uh-uh. No, no. You were given the truth. You were taught truth from lies and you came out of pagan lies and idolatry. I brought you the truth and you're exchanging jerseys. You're going back. But you're not back yet. Beloved, we are responsible for our relationships. Paul will not entertain a woe is me, the false teachers. He warned them about the false teachers. And they are buying it. But they haven't bought it completely Yet, are you thinking, can you think about people that you know that used to name the name of Christ? That went through the waters of baptism, which is putting on the jersey of Christianity. It's publicly being identified with "I belong to Christ. And then something happened. And they're walking away. Let me ask you this. Are they still alive? Then don't give up. Don't stop praying for them. And don't stop seeking opportunities to have gospel conversations with them about Jesus. We're responsible for our relationships. Paul's language here also is clear that their defection wasn't complete. They're in the process, they're swerving. They're deserting. They're they're in the process of walking away. And it makes me think about driving. When I was in high school, I was probably 16 in a few days. I don't know how old I was, but my dad let me drive his Oldsmobile. It had a great stereo system in it. It was fast. He let me drive that thing. I put a cassette tape in and I dropped it to the floor on the passenger side and there was no passenger to pick that thing up for me so I'm driving down this road I'm looking around there's nobody on the road just a narrow country road black top hands on the wheel not 10 and 2 I see that tape over there in the floor it's not that far away watch my hand now I'll just reach over here and get it that Oldsmobile didn't stay in the lanes anymore I hit the shoulder of that road you know the gravel shoulder anybody ever hit that? oh that's a wake up call I didn't it? like it's a little different than the sleep stripe and all of a sudden, I come back up and I pull that wheel back and the car hits the side. <laughs> Gravel's flying everywhere. And here comes that mailbox that somebody's made in Wisconsin for the Wisconsin winters. There ain't no snow plow ever going to take my mailbox down again, brother. I'm going to weld it up. I came so close to that thing. I didn't hit it. And I'm back in the lane and my hands are, yes, back to the 10 and 2. And my heart is beaten so fast, I wasn't primarily worried about the mailbox. My thoughts were captivated by, it. I almost had one of the worst meetings with my father you could ever imagine. And I would have to say, um, but dad, I dropped a tape and I need to get it. <laughs> That's not going to work. Swerving. I recovered. The music group that we traveled in, summer of 94, van, trailer loaded up with our sound system, all our luggage for all of us in the group. This is where Ginger and I met and she chased me down. We fell in love. (laughs) I yielded wisely. We're driving and there's a fly. I did most of the driving, no trailer brakes, and everybody pretty much is sleeping, enjoying this ride in this van. And there's a fly. And I'm driving, minding my own business, trying to keep it on them. they got lots of lives here and stuff. Here comes that fly. My attention gets distracted by the fly. Get out of here, you know, drop, get out of here. And then there was the one time. And again, hand goes, get the fly. And the van goes to the side of the road and the trailer, I can see it in my mirror. The trailer hooks the side and suddenly the trailer's down on the side and we're coming back up. Now everybody's awake (laughs) (laughs) and I'm sitting there and we recovered and we didn't roll and we're on the lane. And it was like, whoa, and my heart is beating again. Threshold of heart attack. And I'm thinking, what was I doing? It was a fly. The fly and my response to the fly almost took us down. And let me tell you, nobody in the van was like, oh, it was a fly. Like, what are you doing? Leave the fly alone. Let somebody else get the fly. Swerving. But there was a recovery. And what Paul sees here is that you're swerving. But if you don't pull out of this real soon, going, going, gone. So he writes, don't give up. Don't give up on the ones that you love that are showing coldness toward the things of the Lord. They used to encourage you to be in fellowship and you haven't seen them in a while. Don't give up. Don't give up. Paul didn't. Paul there, he brought the message to them. But here comes the Judaizers and they're saying, well, faith is good, but you need to add to it the Mosaic Law. You have to add some other things. And therefore, it becomes a different, another heteros message, not the same. Whenever human works are required for salvation, the message instantly becomes different. It becomes a message that has no power to save. So in Acts 4.12, when Peter is preaching, and this is what he says, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name. Everybody say that with me. No other name under heaven, given among men by which we must be saved. He's saying there's no other name that saves, and you must be saved. And I'm just wondering this morning, have you confessed Christ as Lord? Because this includes you. There's one name that saves. One name is higher. One name saves. One name that every knee will bow to. One name that everyone will confess. Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. One name. When Paul writes to Titus, Titus chapter 3, it's very similar to uh, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 and 10. And when he writes, he says, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he, listen to the pronouns now, he saved us. Not because of works done by us. In case you were confused what this meant. Not because of works done by us. Speaking in tongues. Baptism giving, mission trip, whatever. I don't drink caffeine. I pray three times a day. I read seven chapters a day. Whatever you want to put in, I know I'm saved because I do, I don't. Your own doing. Not because of works done by us in righteousness but according to his mercy his own mercy by the washing and regeneration and renewal of the holy spirit it's his working in us whom he poured out on us richly through jesus christ our savior so that being and here's the key justified by what grace this is the name of our church grace i haven't met anybody yet like i've had a little too much grace can you <laughs> drop some more law on me Just give me a little more heavy, I'm I'm worthless. That's what I need. No, grace. We might become heirs. How do you become an heir? And What's the price for me to become part of your inheritance? Get out of here. You have to be born into the family or adopted in that we become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And if you move away from the hope of eternal life in Christ alone, you have no hope. There's no eternal life apart from Jesus Christ. Some years ago, the Jehovah's Witnesses stopped by when our office was next door. They didn't know it was the office. I'm not sure they knew it was the parsonage before that because either way, I would have answered the door. And the Jehovah's Witnesses stopped. I knew one of them, but I didn't know the younger lady. And we talked for a little bit. And I said, would you mind, they have the New World Translation, which is a perversion translation. It's completely altering the meaning. It's not a right translation. But I said, would you mind opening Galatians And would you go to the first chapter and would you read verses 6 through 9 for me? It took the young lady a while to find Galatians and I know why. She got to that portion of her New World Translation and I said, would you read that out loud? And she read it. My prayer is that although the senior member, that's how that works, the training person, quiet one until they step in and then she stepped in and said, okay, we need to go. You believe what you believe and we believe what we believe and we're not going to just argue and we, and we leave and they left my prayer. I don't know where that younger lady is now, but I pray that she would go home and say in my Bible are these words and they haven't had a chance to edit that and change that and pervert that. It's still the message that her eyes would be open to who Jesus is because you cannot deny the deity of Christ and still have left a saving gospel. And they would say, the Jehovah's Witnesses would say the same thing. that Well, Paul, they're like the Judaizers. His message, he, he twisted it. He changed it. No, this is the gospel. Paul loves the Galatians. He loves them enough to respond to them his response is strong. But I'm just wondering this morning, what areas might we be drifting in our thinking? What does the Bible say? To him who thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall. So don't think, well, the Galatians needed this or those other people in, in this church around my neighborhood, they need this. I need this. You need this. And as soon as we are like, oh, I'll never have a problem with this watch out. Beware. Satan is crouching at the door. We need to stay on guard. See, there's ways that we can know what the Bible says, but then we start doing mental gymnastics, intellectual gymnastics, and start, well, I know they said, but. Well, I know they shouldn't really say that, do that, but. And we land in a completely foggy area and we're in the same danger of walking away. Number two, rejection of the evil. That's what the apostle does. He's forbearing with these Galatians. He responds to their foolishness. But when it comes to the false teacher, he flat out rejects them. The false teachers there were troubling the church and distorting the gospel. And that's what false teachers always do. They don't bless the church. They don't help build the church. They tear up the church. They trouble the church. So Paul rejected them. He rejected the teachers. He doesn't name them. This isn't a personal thing. Well, Paul, he's just mad at whatever the guy's name is. He's rejecting them as a whole. You're bringing a non-saving message. So we're not going to have coffee. We're not going to just sit down and just, you know, shoot the breeze. He rejects them outright. Why? Because they bring in division. The word is tarasso. It means to stir up, to agitate, to disturb mentally. Anybody do that in your world? They just get at you. They do things to get in minds of people. That's a false teacher. So Paul takes the gloves off. They're casting doubts on Paul's authority. Therefore, they're casting doubts on his message. You can't separate the message from the messenger. So when they're saying, "Ah, Paul's got an outdated message. Well, who does Paul think he is? Well, where did Paul get his education? You don't have to listen to Paul. We have more knowledge. We have, oh, we study the Bible too. We have lots of Bible studies. We know more than Paul. You need this, you need that. And don't do this and don't do that. And suddenly you have this nice moral group of doing all these things and not doing all the other things and grace is long gone out the window. And those individuals are saying, I got this. And Lord, I thank you that I'm not like the other sinners who aren't in this group. There's division. They come in and it wouldn't be deceiving if they were coming in like, here's our golden calf, let's all worship. We're not worshiping the golden calf. We read that story. So they come in with religious rituals. Ooh, that's kind of nice. I kind of like that. Oh, and we have these things. And here's some things you need. Your dress, your hair. Not much new, right? Here's the observance of these feasts. Don't do the bad things like the bad people do. You know, this, this is the message they bring. And distort the gospel. They pervert the gospel. And Paul says there's not another gospel of the same kind. There's only the gospel, one gospel that saves. In the resource I recommended last week from Tim Keller on Galatians, he gives three common examples of distorting the gospel. I'm just going to go through these briefly. Number one, a common way that Christians, so people call themselves Christians, churches that would come under a Christian name or, or, or just in general you think that's a Christian denomination. Number one is your beliefs, but you have to add behavior. Well, it's good to believe, but you need to be baptized. It's good to believe, but you need to attend church every day. Uh, beliefs, but you need to whatever. Put anything else in there. Beliefs plus behavior That's what leads to staying saved. You have to keep yourself saved. You know, let's get people to pray a prayer. Let's guilt them into, you know, accepting Jesus in their heart. And then let's just burden them with, make sure you work that out the rest of your life. The second way that's a distortion of the gospel is the liberal side of things. Many denominations are gone this route. Your beliefs don't really matter. There's pastors, they can't even say sin. They can't even say anybody's wrong. We're just going to be tolerant. We're just going to be loving of everybody. We're just going to accept, well, that's not really my place to say if anybody's wrong. Your beliefs don't really matter. What you need is be good and do loving, nice things. And that's the way to life, to salvation. What is this? This is relativism. Everybody is right. No, everybody can be wrong, but not everybody can be right. We have to understand that. As soon as you make a a, a relativistic statement, you know, all truth is your truth. Is that true? Like you can, you can ask that question right back. The third one might be a little more of a pitfall that we would deal with, and this is extreme intolerance of small differences. Maybe having to do with dress or customs. This is legalism. Yeah, but do, do, you, know, do you use my Bible translation? Did you go to the college I went to? Do you listen? You know, this is my upbringing. We are so great. We don't go to movies. We don't listen to rock music and and all these things. And it's like, what? That makes you better? Nope. But people think it does. And that's the danger. That's what's so elusive about it. I do all these nice things and I'm not like, and you're right back to Jesus saying the two individuals that went to pray and one stood, he was separate apart from, we're not like them. And he prayed with himself, Jesus said. The other person, the sinner said, I'm the sinner. And he wouldn't even lift his face. He needed grace. The other guy said, I got it. I'm not like him. Look, I'm standing way far away from that guy. The Lord must be so impressed with me. No, we need grace. The Lord's never impressed with us, but he does love us. John Stott says it this way, to tamper with the gospel is to trouble the church. Indeed, the church's greatest troublemakers, now as then, are not those outside who oppose. I wholeheartedly agree with this. Those outside who oppose, ridicule, and persecute it, but those inside who try to change the gospel Conversely, the only way to be a good churchman is to be a good gospel man. The best way to serve the church, you want to know how to serve the church? Believe and preach the gospel. It's got to be here first and flow out of that to others. Paul rejected false teaching. False teaching adds works to faith. This is what David Platt calls a reversed gospel. And he rejects it in the strongest terms he can. He, he can. He says, if we. He includes himself. He includes the other uh, apostles and leaders. If we come to you and we bring a different message than what I brought to you, don't buy it. If we, verse 8, to preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. This is, this is the deal. He says, if we, if an angel from heaven, if anyone, do you know how many religions are born out of somebody's vision or an encounter with a, an angel, an experience, and people follow them for the golden tablets, for the whatever it is, it all these, and, and they have this convincing and people follow and they're sincere. Paul is saying, if I come to you and I've lost my mind and I'm preaching to you its works, don't listen to me. Anathema on me. If anybody comes and they say, yeah, salvation and faith in Jesus is good, but you can't really know you're saved unless you're whatever. Add one thing and you no longer have a gospel that saves. So he rejected it in the strongest terms. If you take away the deity of Christ, the humanity of Christ, if you take away the virgin birth, if you take away the death, if you take the burial or the resurrection, you take away any of those and you have a different, and we can't even say gospel, we have to say message. Because the gospel is good news. And this message, where Muslim Islam believes that Jesus didn't die on the cross, you you lose the message. It's a different message and you can say peace be upon him all day long and that's not honoring him as God. You must confess him as Lord and God as Thomas did. So Paul rejects him in the strongest terms. He says, let him be accursed. Two times he says this. Listen to what Martin Luther said. The Reformation. Um, This is what Martin Luther, he loved the book of Galatians. He says, there's no middle ground between Christian righteousness and works. Righteousness. There is no other alternative to Christian righteousness but works righteousness. You see, what he's, he's dividing the entire world, all belief systems, on God does it for you or you do it for God. There's no middle ground. He says, if you do not build your confidence on the work of Christ, you must build your confidence where? On your own work. Either God has saved me or I must keep trying and I hope I do enough. I hope I please him enough. And that's why Paul uses this word that means let him be eternally damned. He's not just cursing in a moment of frustration. He's pronouncing a curse and he does it two times because what does it mean if you bring a message that is supposed to save people but has no power to save? You are cursing those people with a message that sounds nice. It sounds pleasing. It just has no power to beat our ultimate final enemy, which is death. That's damning people. And Paul says, so if someone brings a message... Anathema. Now, the Council of Trent met over a span of about 18 years, responded to Martin Luther. You need to know this. The Council of Trent has not been annulled or rejected or repealed by the Catholic Church. It's still embraced. It's still regarded as valid. And so they responded in the sixth session. They were responding to specifically... Luther and others claim of justification by faith alone. And this is what the response is. If anyone saith that the justice received is not preserved and also increased before God through good works, but that the said works, the good works, are merely the fruits and sign of justification obtained, but not a cause of the increase thereof, he recognized the word, Let him be anathema, eternally damned. Do you understand what they're saying to Luther and all who came out in the Reformation saying, we can't save ourselves. It is God who in his mercy saved us. They are saying, we take your message and our response is eternal damnation on you. So what do we do? You know anybody that's believing a lie? Paul's writing to Christians. Our response to non-Christians is always to be filled with kindness and grace. But number 3, look at the Paul's, look at Paul the apostle's resolve in the gospel. You see Paul was a slave to Christ, therefore he was free. He didn't need man's approval. I wonder if you need people's approval. I know our kids You want to see how many people liked, how many people liked the photo? How many people are following me? You know how many followers that person has? And then what happens when somebody is shocked? It's when someone has millions of followers and they end their life. And young people are like, what? They had what everybody wants. Followers. And they checked out. This doesn't make sense. Foul madzo, this makes no sense. This doesn't fit. This is appalling. Paul's resolve in the gospel. He was not living in fear of man, nor was he enslaved to the, I need the praise of man. But listen to me, Paul was absolutely devoted to persuading men. Live for pleasing men? No way. To persuade men all day, all life. Turn from your sin Trust in Jesus. And if you kill me, I'll be with Jesus. If you leave me alive, I will tell you about Jesus because he's so good. It's hard to shut that message down. David Platt says it this way if your goal in life is to be liked, then you will not be a faithful and fruitful Christian. Jesus said it's the fear of God that drives out all other fears in Matthew 10, 26. The fear of God, it's what puts every other relationship in its place. You fear Him, the unseen, you don't have to fear what you see. Not in a hurry to die. I'm not afraid to die. Dave Stanley passed away this week after we were reading a section from 2 Corinthians 5. I want everybody, please, if you're able to come October 5th on that Saturday, 11 o'clock, come. He was a mostly quiet guy, not always. He usually answered the wrong question when when I was teaching. Should we preach the gospel? No. Yes. No, we should. Oh, yes, yes, yes. (laughs) Richard would always have, like, come on, Dave, come on, Dave. Dave, Calm down. But to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That's the passage. I left and he passed away about 10 minutes after I left. But at peace, you could stake your life and your eternity that our value has nothing to do with what really matters. How big is your house? Who cares? How, what kind of car do you drive? Who cares? Do you do you know Christ? Do you belong to Christ? We need to be set free. Stop living for the approval of people. Why would we do that when we have the approval from God in Christ that He has loved us with an everlasting love? So Paul was living free. And this is a paradox. He was living free as a slave to Christ. That's the only way we can live free. It's the upside down of Christianity. You want to keep your life? You have to give it away. You want to keep your resources? Then you have to give them into the kingdom, the work of the gospel. That's the way we keep. We don't lay up treasure here on earth see and to savor Christ is where life begins and never ends. I've said it before and I'll say it again. As long as God gives me breath, the only, the only, the only relationship that you can totally trust and never lose is Jesus. The only one. You can't even trust the person that you see in the mirror. I can't. The Lord knows our hearts are deceitful and desperately wicked above all things. The Lord knows our hearts. So this is the question. Are you a servant of Christ? It's going to come on the screen. Let me ask us all this question. Is serving Christ part of your life? And most everyone would say, yeah, yeah, that sounds good. That sounds pleasing. Or there's a different way for this to be said. Is Christ your life? Therefore you serve him. Do you hear the difference in the nuance here? Oh, yeah, Jesus. I I give Jesus some money. I give Jesus some time. I serve when they really get on me at church and I I get in there and serve and and, and so forth. Uh, Jesus is part of my life, but really, this is my world. Jesus, stay right over there. When I need you, I'll be coming after you. Or is Jesus your life? When Christ, who is our life, appears. Paul would write, because if he is your life, you can't help the outflowing. The fruit is I serve him. I worship him. I give to him. I'm his hands. I'm his feet because he's my life. He's my everything. Is Christ your life? Then if he is, then how do we apply this? What's our response? Then we need to respond to foolishness. We, we, it's not good enough to say, well, I just kept my mouth. shut. We need to respond to foolishness. We need to reject all that is evil. False teaching and reject it. Don't try to make a truce and an alliance with two different sides. And by the grace of God, we need to resolve to stand boldly in the gospel of grace until Christ returns or until our time is done. Amen. So what's your next step? It's one thing to know this, it's another thing to say, so what's my next step? And when you gather in small groups, bring that next step. Pray with others about that next step. Pray for me that I'll take that next step of faith and obedience to either come to know Christ, to follow Him, to be obedient. We'll be here afterwards if you want to pray. You need have questions. Jamie will be here. I'm here. Let's talk to you. Give us that opportunity. Let's stand together. And we're going to close by singing a response a hymn in Christ alone. And this song is the message of the gospel. Father, we thank you for your word and the gospel of grace. The burden to save ourselves does not rest upon us. It's in Christ who finished the work and rose to life. So do your work in our hearts and in our lives, we pray in Jesus' name.